This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. Today we're going to look at, as we've been going through the story of Joshua, we're going to get into the 10th chapter of Joshua, which is a, a really good one, if I can, you know, just give my own opinion on it. Um, and it's also this incredible passage of scripture where God does something so miraculous, and there's a prayer that's so audacious that it challenges the faith. And it's even a sermon that as I look to even preach and, and look to dig into the word of God here, that it challenges me because it makes me wonder, what could God do in a room like this, in a place like this, if we had faith to believe? And as we go into the scripture, I just want you to let that thought sink into your heart, let it sink into your soul a little bit of what could God do in me, what could God do through me if I had faith to believe? You see, at the start of this chapter, we're coming off the previous one Pastor Nathan shared last week, and he did such a good job of teaching us about Joshua and his lessons in defeat. And so as we come to chapter 10, we're coming off of Joshua learning lessons through losses, uh, times where he did the wrong thing, made the wrong choice, and yet he learned lessons through it, and his choices were so bad that people died because of decisions that were made. Pretty crazy, terrible. And what happens in Joshua 10 is really interesting. I mean, I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit. Um, you have this king who lives in the land that's been promised to the Israelites, and he's the king of Jerusalem, and his name is Adonai Zedek, and he has been hearing that, hey, there's this group of Israelites for whom God uh, parted the Jordan River and allowed them to walk through, who God had torn down the walls of Jericho and, and allowed them to take that city. And now, not only is God with them, but he's also get, gotten them an ally in the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites were known for being mighty warriors, strong men. And so... This guy, king of Jerusalem, he gets worried, he's nervous, and he's like, I can't handle this on my own, and so he starts to form alliances with other kings in the area. And he, he comes to four other kings, and I'll read you some of their names if you're in Joshua 10. I'm gonna read a little bit from verse three, and just so you know, I just pronounce names in the English way of saying them, so if you wanna look it up in the Hebrew and know how to say it in Hebrew, you can do that in your free time, but for today, to save time and for your understanding, I'm just gonna read them in English, and because it's fun. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham of Hebron. That one doesn't scare me too much. Uh, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachish, and Debir of Eglon. And he says to them, come and help me destroy Gibeon because he, he and his armies, he's gonna get these armies, they're gonna go against Gibeon. And so they do that. They, they make an alliance and five kings join their forces together and they set upon the Gibeonites. And the odds are against the Gibeonites and so they, of course, they are scared and so they send message to Joshua and the Israelites who are camping at Gilgal. Remember, Gilgal is a place where God had renewed his covenant with his people and where the people had this holy moment of setting apart, consecrating themselves to the Lord and throughout the story of Joshua, you can find the people of Israel camping at this spot where God had touched and marked their lives. And so the Gibeonites send messengers to them and they say, don't abandon your servants now. Come at once, save us, help, help us. They were scared. 
So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, they set out to go and meet the Gibeonites. And the scripture tells us that God spoke to Joshua and he said, do not be afraid of them, for I have given you victory over them, and not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. That's a powerful promise from God. And so Joshua and his men, they march overnight and they launch a surprise attack against the enemy kings. As they're arriving, God sends panic into the five kings that had rallied against the Gibeonites, and they started uh, just dying off, and, and God intervened with hailstorms, and he's fighting on behalf of Israel, and Joshua realizes that the day is escaping them, and so he calls out to God, and he prays one of the most audacious prayers that you'll ever see in the scriptures, and he says, let the sun stand still, over Gibeon, and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun and moon actually stood in their place. And the scripture says the sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set as on a normal day. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. You see, in this passage of scripture, we can see that the, the tension is already there. The enemies have already kind of stacked their team. I don't know if when you were young or you did sports or some of you who are younger in this room, there was ever that one kid that wanted to make the teams and instead of just like choosing captains and kind of dividing it fairly, you had the one kid that was always like, no, 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 I got this. I'll take um, them and them and them and them and them and they made their own version of the Golden State Warriors still happens in adult life too. Um, and so this is like these five kings came and they thought that they had the advantage because they were going against one. And even when Joshua brought his army, the odds are still greatly against them. It's still five against two. Just because Joshua and Israel show up on the scene, it doesn't really change the odds of this battle. It's still five kings, five armies against two kings and two armies. But wouldn't you know that sometimes, just like in real life, the way your enemy's strategy actually plays into your hand. And that when God's on your side and the enemy comes against you, sometimes his attacks actually play into God's hand and work to your advantage. And God grows us through those situations. And how many of you here in this room know that even if it's five versus two, if God is with the two, the two have the advantage? You see, Joshua was in the Lord's timing. He was fighting the Lord's fight. And that enabled him to have this audacious faith. And he realized that he couldn't do it on his own. Even though he was winning the battle, he knew that the strategy was to win the battle that day. Because if they didn't win it that day, all of those people were gonna retreat into their fortified cities. They would put up the city, they would you know, sit behind their city walls, they would gather their food, gather their resources, and they would sit there for, and the, the process could have taken years. And so Joshua knew, no, today's the day. Today's the day he's fighting the Lord's battle and he knows we have to win this victory today and so he calls out to God in the Lord's timing, prays this prayer that is just audacious and he found success in seeing victory where everybody else would have seen defeat. You see, Joshua had just come off a time in his life where he made terrible mistakes. In our society today, when somebody makes a mistake, we just, just kind of throw them aside and say, you know what, that's it, you're done forever, you made a mistake. Joshua was just reeling out of mistakes that he made that had great consequences to them. And he could have let that slow him down and hold him back, but he didn't. He proceeded forward with the Lord. And I was thinking about it 
What in our lives would cause us to shrink back from fighting the Lord's fight, from, from partnering with God in this way and from believing in him in such an amazing way? And as I was thinking through it, you know, there's some different things that are typical that slow us down and that make us want to shrink back instead of advancing. You see, sometimes, just like Joshua could have, we think of our past failures. When, when God speaks to us to do something, we just think about all the ways we've messed up in the past, and we think, surely, God, you can't use me. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too much wrong. Other times, we can get paralyzed by, by our fears. We can be afraid of the things that we know, and we can be afraid of the things that we don't even know. In this situation, Joshua could have said, no, there's five armies against two. There's no way. I'm too scared. The odds are against us. We, we, we can't go forward. And, and you can, he could have gotten so paralyzed by that fear that he wouldn't have even stepped out in faith. And there's times in our life when we're going through different things or circumstances are facing us or maybe we feel like the enemy of our soul is attacking us and we're just scared to proceed because of the things that we know. No, the sickness is too severe. The relationship is too broken. There's nothing that I can do. The doctors are, have already given a report. I can't advance. I can't, I, I'm too afraid because of the enemy's report. And then we can be afraid of things we don't even know. What if nothing happens? What if we go to fight and, and God doesn't intervene on our behalf? And we can get paralyzed with just not knowing and not moving forward because of that. Other times we get caught up in inadequacy. We think about all the people that are better than us because there's always somebody better than us at any given thing. And I imagine Joshua in this day could have done the same thing as, as he got the word that the Gibeonites needed help. He could have just said, if only Moses were here. Surely Moses would have known what to do. God led Moses out of Egypt. God, God had spoken to him in such a unique way. If only Moses were here. But he didn't do that. You see, the other thing that we get trapped into, especially in our American culture, is our self-sufficiency and our reliance upon ourselves because we think that we can just accomplish so much whatever we can accomplish without God is just good enough and the reality is that as we partner with God in his spirit and as we're doing the work of, of his ministry and as we're aligning ourselves with his mission we're going to come to impasses where what we can do is not enough and we need to depend on and rely upon the Lord. And so there's a couple of things, a couple of ways that we can have a similar faith to that of Joshua to where we could pray audacious prayers too and where God would hear us and answer us. The first one is this, it's our view of God. You see, it's been said that God created mankind in his image and then we return the favor and we constantly recreate him in our image. If you've been abandoned in your life, it's likely that you imagine a God who's likely to abandon you. If you are a person who's dishonest, you imagine a God who's going to be dishonest with you or entrap you or deceive you. If you wrestle with pride, you're going to imagine a God who is uncompassionate towards people. In this scripture, Joshua had seen the faithfulness of God. He had heard the voice of God. He had been set on his path by God. And so when God spoke to him, he believed it, and he believed he was on God's mission. And so when he called out to God and said, Joshua prayed in front of all the people. Can you imagine praying an audacious prayer of faith, let alone by yourself, and then all of a sudden you're in front of everybody praying it? And Joshua prayed and said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon. 
and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in its place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not accorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as a normal day. There's never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. You see, it was really fun studying this passage of scripture because as I studied it, I read all sorts of different commentaries and read from different theologians in history. And they, there's all sorts of different like theories of people trying to figure out how this could have scientifically happened. And let me just give you one clarifier here, church. Uh, if God had wanted to give us the scientific how-to, he would have. Sometimes I think he didn't because we would have tried to do it on our own. So some theologians and people, they think that maybe, uh, I'll just share some of these with you because I, I enjoyed them. They said maybe what he was actually saying there is because the day was so hot and the sun was so strong in the sky that he was really praying that the sun would be silenced or muted. And so, so it was a, the hail that had come already kind of broke the, the hot streak of the day and then all of a sudden it's going to be cool so they could carry on and finish the battle in enjoying the coolness of the day. Other people say, you know, maybe it happened because God in the atmosphere put these mirage-like mirrors so that when people looked up, he, they saw the sun hitting off these mirage mirrors back down to earth, and it looked like the sun and the moon had just stayed in their place. Other people think that maybe it just slowed a little bit. Other people think maybe it was just the radiance of God's glory that lit the day. Friends, I have, I have a few questions for you. Because we either believe in the God of the impossible or we believe in a little God for whom everything's impossible for him. So let me ask you this. What is more difficult, to set the universe in its course of motion from nothing, to make everything out of nothing, or to pause your creation for a moment? What's more difficult, to split the Red Sea, the a sea, a lake, just wide open so that there's dry ground, not muddy ground, but dry ground for people to walk on and cross over. What's more difficult, to walk on water? I, I still can't do it. <laughs> what's more difficult, to walk on water or to pause the sun in the sky? Friends, what's more difficult, to raise a dead man to life or to pause the sun in the sky? God did all of those things. For him, nothing is impossible. It is all his creation. And I don't need to know how he did it to believe in the God of the impossible and that he did it. And the same spirit, by the way, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of each one of us that calls him our Lord. The most important thing about us is what we believe in God. And how can I believe that God could perform the miraculous? Is because God saved a sinner like me, because God performed the miracle of salvation for me in my life. You see, as you look in the scriptures and you read about the effect of sin on each and every person's life, is that with sin comes a curse, and the curse is death. Nothing good ever grows out of sin, but sin, when it grows inside of each one of us, it produces death. It kills relationships. It, it kills friendships. It kills freedom. It, bind, it binds us, and in the end, it presents us with death as a reward for sin. 
You see, each one of us, we have had a mountain of sin. When you come into church, if it's your first time here, or you're not even sure if you believe in God, listen, everyone in this room is no different than you. Each one of us had a mountain of sin staring before us that was producing the results of death in our life until Jesus came in and he took our place, until he bore the sin, the curse of death on his shoulders on the cross. And through Jesus, Sin became forgiven. The curse was broken. Life entered in, and the Spirit of God is alive and at work inside of us. And there's case and case throughout history of the miraculous power of salvation. One, one in particular, as you look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you can read a story in the book of Acts. This guy was an enemy of the cross. He was an enemy of the church. He wasn't ambivalent, didn't just, you know, they do what they do, and that's fine. No, he attacked Christians. He persecuted them. And then one day, God got a hold of his life, transformed him, set him apart for his kingdom, and the Apostle Paul's life was changed forevermore, and he ended up writing most of the New Testament with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see, if it's possible for God to do that, what's impossible? This next thing is that we need to align ourselves with God's mission. You see, so often when we call out to God and we wonder why he doesn't hear us, we're expecting God to come and accommodate our way of living. We're expecting God to accommodate our lifestyle. We're saying, God, why can't you help make me better at this video game? And then we're frustrated because he doesn't intervene and give us super fast thumbs and dexterity in our hands and You see, it's kind of like a person that's out on an ocean shore and they're out in a rowboat. They've rowed away from shore a little bit and they look back at the shore and they say, you know, I don't think the shore should be there. And so they take the anchor on the rope and they twirl it in their hand like this and they're so strong that they throw it all the way to the shore and it hooks into the shore and they try to pull the shore towards them. How many of you know that's just not gonna work? But sometimes in our approach to God, we go directly against the word of God. We go against God's will. We do things our own way. And then we go, God, why isn't this working? Why aren't you hearing me? I'm calling to you to make me better at life or better in this or bless me in this. And we're clearly outside of what God has called his blessing. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way that we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I'll read that again. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, when it talks about a living sacrifice here, to the hearers of this passage of scripture in his day, that was an oxymoron. It wasn't possible. Because whenever you brought an offering, a sacrifice, the sacrifice died. In the Old Testament, when they brought uh, grain offerings or animal offerings before God, they put them on the altar and they left them there and the thing died. You see, one author has said that the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps trying to crawl off the altar. 
For us in our lives, we come to God and we lay our lives down and say, God, I submit to you and to your authority. And our temptation is to wander from the altar. And what God is asking us to do is to continually submit ourselves to him and to his way, to align ourselves with him, and that's worship. It's worship to every day go to God and lay down our way. And some of the things that we need to do to do that are very, you know, un-American in the way that we've been brought up, but it means that we have to put to death the my way mentality, that I just get to do things my way, that I know what's best for me, that I can do whatever I want. It's continually going to God and saying, no, your way is better than my way, and I submit to your way and what you want over what I want. I submit to your purpose instead of my own wanderings and my own leanings because I believe and I trust that you know what's best for me. You see, we have to continually do that. And we're able to do that because of the God that we believe in. You see, if you believe in a little God, he's not trustworthy and you'll never do this. But if you believe in the God of the impossible, it's easy to trust him with this. And so later on in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the different gifts, some of the different gifts of the spirit of God at work in his body. And when I talk about the the body of Christ, I'm talking about each and every person that lives a life submitted to God. God says his spirit lives inside of us and there's different gifts for each one. And so he talks about some have a gift of serving and so they should serve. Some have the gift of prophecy and they should prophesy. Others have a gift of generosity and they should be generous and give. And throughout the New Testament, there's different portions where you see God pouring his spirit out upon people and the gifts of the spirit that accompany it and everybody plays a part and each of us through salvation and through the spirit of God can align ourselves to God's purpose for our life and together as the body of Christ do audacious faith-filled things as you look at, at what this means the next part is we have to believe the promises of God why was Joshua able to go forward with such faith you see at the beginning of the story In Joshua, in the first chapter, in verse number nine, God says this, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Friends, you know that the same God that went with Joshua wherever he went is the same God that goes with his people today wherever they go. And that we don't have to be afraid or discouraged because the God of heaven who set the earth into motion goes with us every day of our lives. Joshua chapter 10, when he went in to fight the battle, he could believe in the promise that God told him. He said, don't be afraid of them. I wonder why God had to keep telling him not to be afraid. Maybe God needs to remind us not to be afraid. And God said, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. Friends, when we are believers in Christ and his spirit resides inside of us, we walk in victory. We walk from victory to victory. We don't walk in defeat or discouragement. We walk in the victory that Christ has given to us. There's other, paths, there's other promises throughout the scripture that we can cling to today, and I wanna share a couple. One, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will understand, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that's a promise for us today? 
Some of us, we worry about everything. And then we give reasons why it's good for us to worry about everything. And we justify our worrying about everything. Even though our worrying never adds a day to our life or it brings joy to our soul or those around us, we read here that God says, we don't have to worry, but we can pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, pray about everything. And then you'll experience God's peace. Doesn't that sound better? Isaiah 40, 29 says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Isn't that encouraging? Have you ever felt weak before or powerless? It's encouraging to know that God gives strength and power to the weak and to the powerless. Believing in God's promises, we need to pray and step out in faith. Have you ever asked God for the impossible? Have you ever asked God for the improbable? Have you ever called out to God in faith for the maybe unreasonable? You see, the God we serve is worthy of more than just simple prayers. I want to give you a few examples from Scripture really quickly. When Peter saw Jesus walking on water, he didn't stretch out his hand to help Jesus on board. Peter thought differently. I want to encourage you with this because Peter thought differently than me because a couple things. One, if I saw my friend walking on water towards me, I'd be like, how did you do that? Um, And then secondly, I'd be like, here, get in the boat before you drown. (laughs) But Peter had a different reaction when he saw Jesus walking on the water. The thought that occurred to him is, can I do what Jesus did? If Jesus did it, can I do it? And so he took a step of faith and met Jesus on the water. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking, and they see a man that's begging, and the man is looking to them to receive money from them. In verse 6 of Acts 3, it says, But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Christ Jesus, the Nazarene, get up and walk. He didn't say, I don't have any money, but let me go back to church and pray about it. He didn't say, Uh, let me just think on it, pray about it. He stepped out in faith in prayer. Action and prayer go hand in hand. And the two dangers we can run into in our Christian faith is this. We can pray and do nothing, or we can not pray and do everything. And there's two, they're equally and opposite dangerous for us in our faith. Because if we just pray and do nothing, When God's speaking and we're supposed to be partnering with him and using the gifts he's put inside of us, we just give answers like, wow, I see that need, I can meet it, but let me go back to church and pray about it for a while. And when God speaks to us and there's a moment where we could pray an audacious prayer and interact with God, we just go, you know, let me just pray about it. And we never put our faith into action. We can ask God not for what we're capable of doing, but for what he is capable of doing. And if our mission is his mission, We can depend on him for victory and the miraculous. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.